Consummate Athlete seeks health, community, and adventure through movement. And here on the podcast, longtime endurance coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford and author and cycling coach Molly Herford are helping you lead your best active, adventurous life. Every week, we talk with professional athletes, health and fitness experts, and of course, real-life consummate athletes. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hope everyone is uh, doing good, staying safe, still moving around, getting outside, etc. Um, Peter, how you doing? I'm doing well. I have been carrying a weighted pack. I have gotten my pack back and uh, yeah, I'm walking around with weights. So I'm enjoying that. Trying to sit on the ground more like you say and like we are right now. Very consummate athlete of you. And I had one more thing. Oh, and I'm riding flat pedals on my mountain bike, which I haven't done in a while. Um, usually ride my BMX and stuff with flat pedals, but I've been enjoying, since there aren't races, I've been uh, out riding flat pedals way more so in the forest the other day. And it's it's amazing how much it changes sort of the engagement with the trail. Nice. And speaking of the consummate athlete lifestyle, um, for those who haven't checked out the consummate athlete website lately, consummateathlete.com, there is a whole lot of new content over there. Um, we've actually sort of combined all of our all of our projects from you know my articles over our, formerly on the outdoor edit to Peter's coaching business, formerly Smart Athlete. Um, all of it has a new home, and the home looks pretty pretty darn good. Uh, on consummateathlete.com so please check that out uh, let us know what you think um, yeah we're looking for error checkers as well it's we, we are sort of doing it ourselves so it is uh sort of as we move things over the uh, i was gonna make up a fake web developer that i was gonna claim was doing it for us yeah I, like blame seth I was, you okay i was gonna say it was fraught with disaster but you've put a name to the person Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, we also have an Instagram now that's at consummate athlete. So tag us in, in your consummate athlete adventures too. Um, we're doing a lot of, a lot of content over there. For instance, we just had uh, Peter did a great video about how to get started riding the rollers without needing a wall. And I can safely say that it actually works. I officially am able to ride the rollers without a wall and Point of fact, I was able to do that my second time ever riding the rollers with this tip. So I feel like it's it's pretty good. Yeah, we had that one. And then we'll, I guess, put another one up that I did. You can find it on my YouTube channel as well. Uh, but it was about sort of standing and doing even like sort of race starts as you get decent at getting going on the rollers. So just sort of, again, sort of trying to add a little bit more skill time and a little more engagement into whatever you're doing. Again, trying not to add time to your day, but trying to layer on some of these more skill-based, more engagement-based motions, right? Or, or just, again, sitting on the floor, stacking motions. Mm -hmm. Speaking of skills, training techniques in the basement and backyard, actually today's guest uh, is talk talked about that a fair bit during our episode. Um, so if you think you you already have your skills so dialed that you don't po you can't possibly get better in the backyard, we should point out that two-time Olympian, two-time world champion, and arguably the most decorated cyclist in all of Canada, Catherine Pendrel, is in her backyard practicing her wheelies right now. Yeah, she's swifting as well, so she's covering all the bases. But uh, yeah, she said she was out there working on skills and has done that as long as I've known her doing different focuses and, and skill elements. So yeah, it was super exciting to get Catherine on the podcast. I mean, you know, for for all, it's really hard for everyone to have their, you know, goal races for the season kind of thrown off and have their race calendar pretty much deleted um for Catherine this year was going to be her final year of racing the world at the world cup level racing the world cups and likely going to the olympics um so having to reconfigure you know your third olympic you know your third olympic uh run-up uh you know she was bronze medalist in in rio this was you know really going to be not, not a last hurrah because she's always going to be racing and part of the you know bike scene in Canada but certainly her her final it was planned to be her final year as a, a professional yes it would be very tough it certainly puts things I, I I think you're right like it was I don't know if she'd even decided completely I think we're now like guessing at that right but 
Nope, she'd said like this was her final World Cup season or plan. Right, right. So yeah, it, it, but it's it's disruptive for everyone, right? And I think that's the nature of athletics, the nature of life, right? Like there's lots of times things have to get pushed back, or you know, the 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 curve towards or the the path to success is is serpentine. It's curvy, right? Like it's it's never a direct line when we talk about point A, point B. Yeah, and I mean with Catherine, it's been interesting in the past. I mean say six weeks, I think at this point, um, I had originally been interviewing her for an article for Canadian cycling on the mountain bike Olympics. Um, that was an assignment I got back in like early March and the, you know, we set a time to talk, we'd emailed back and forth a few times. And then the night before we were going to talk, she emailed me because Canada had made the announcement that they weren't going to send a team to the Olympics, whether it happened or not. Um, so she emailed me with that. So we went from like talking about her Olympic hopes to Canada's not sending anyone to no one's going because the Olympics aren't happening this year. Right. Um, you know, and then we had this podcast just a few days after that. So she kind of had time to sort of think through where she was at and how to recalibrate and everything. And it's a really interesting conversation. It's, it's so cool to, you know, hear, hear from someone who's, you know, going through this pretty, pretty big shift of what to do now, but put such a realistic yet positive spin on it, um, mm-hmm. I think was just fantastic. Yeah. And I think it's also, I always like talking to Catherine and as you've alluded to, you know, she's the, the consummate professional, uh, if not cons- a consummate athlete. Also a consummate athlete. Horseback riding to and, start? Oh yeah. I forgot about that. That was my favorite part of this episode. Yeah. She definitely qualified with that. So we start off talking about that. Um, it's probably the best place to start. I was going to talk about salsa dancing with her too, but we'll leave that story for another day. Ooh, yeah. If you want to hear that story, tune back in next week. Um, but for now, let's get into talking to Catherine Pendrell all about horseback riding, Olympics, cross-country mountain biking, cross-country skiing, and how to recalibrate when your goals are rapidly shifting. Enjoy the episode, guys. Let's get into it. Um, we're going to go like way, way, way back to get started. Do you remember okay. how you got started in ri- just like riding bikes? Sure. Um, Yeah, I started, I was a horseback rider. So that was like, horses were my life growing up. And then when I was getting kind of older, it was getting to feel like if I wanted to be good at horseback riding, I had to have like a $40,000 horse and move away and train with the best trainers. And um, it just felt a little discouraging. And my brother had gotten a bike for his birthday and we lived on a farm and he was playing around and he was just like, Hey, you know what? Like you should try biking. There's a race in two weeks just down the road from our house and there's no girls that do it and we need girls to do it. So you should come. And I'm like, okay, um, can you teach me how to bike? (laughs) So basically I did this race with two weeks of biking under my belt. Like, I guess I don't have a ton of bike memories from growing up, but obviously like I knew how to ride a bike. I wasn't sure I totally got the sport, but I'm like, I'll do it. And then um, I went to the the first race, and I just thought the people were so cool because they were – it just seemed so grounded and real. Like, people were just kind of living out of their cars, traveling around the province, and racing bikes, getting dirty, and just – they just seemed really fun, and I wanted to get better at it. And I was fortunate that my – brother and his friends were really into having girls get into the sport. So they, they let the, the slow kid hang out with them. What wow. I was going to say, what type of horse, like, did you, how serious and how, what type of horse yeah. back riding were you doing or equestrian? So, so for people that are really into horses, I was a, a pony clubber. And so I, um, I did something, well, my favorite thing to do was called eventing three day eventing. So it would, be made up of different components so there was a show jumping which would be the stadium jumping that people have probably seen on tv then there's cross country which is you have a course out in the forest and you're going over awesome jumps and you want to go as fast as you can but you also have to do a vet check at the end so you can't push your horse too hard you have to push them within their um physical limits is that where they have to recover the heart rate down or you just the horse has to be okay yeah, the, they have to recover to a certain heart rate right. within a certain amount of time. Yeah, I just time. heard about this. They did a combo like bike. I think it was like a bike and horse and running like a, a triathlon, if you will. But they, there was yeah. that element in it. And like all the cyclists were like, what? 
And they're like, yeah, you definitely yeah. got to, the horse has to recover down before you can like finish the race. It's like a bike mechanic totally. having to check and your bike like, at the end. I was of like, the... what an interesting twist. Yeah. So how old, yeah, how old were you? The, uh, I did that until I was 16. Okay. Um, yeah. So quite young, but it was like, I was on, I was on a horse before I could walk kind of thing because my mom, uh, when she was on mat leave, she bred horses, she gave lessons, she had summer camps. So, um, it was definitely like. So how much of that sticks with you now? Like, do you ever think about like, this is like horsey or do you think any of that movement or the skills from that? Do you think that transfers still? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I think that you, I was very comfortable at speed. You've got that balance aspect. Um, I wish I had been an athlete when I was a horseback rider because I would just have so much of a better understanding of what my horse needed for training. Um, you know, we luckily I had coaches, so I think they did a good job of that. But I think there's that whole other element where it's, I was trying to perfect my skills, but then there's the whole other added element of getting the horse's physical conditioning um, ready to handle it. And, and you have just like in mountain biking where you have a scary feature, there's things that would scare a horse and they might shy away from the fence. So there's training that aspect and just having, uh, you know, you think about the mental uh, Sykes part of sport too and how I could have helped my horse perform in that a nervous environment where you know they're used to being in their stable and then we travel to an event they're in an arena with uh, makeshift uh, horse stalls for hundreds of horses and then they've got like spectators and all these things happening so yeah I just think uh, as an adult it would be really interesting to go back into that world again hmm. oh that's so interesting also I really enjoy that like cycling is normally considered like a fairly expensive sport but like once you've come from horseback mm-hmm. riding you're like cycling no, cheapest yeah. sport ever <laughs> totally totally <laughs> that are like I, then i think well cross-country skis are like so cheap but then oh cross like if you're a country cross-country skier you need like 10 sets of skis probably like per discipline so. and a person to wax yeah. them for you too yeah yeah i think kind of any sport you try and take to the highest levels can get really expensive um yeah yeah i was definitely fortunate to grow up uh on a farm i had a 150 year old farmhouse and barn and parents that were into it so yeah so when did you know with cycling that like oh this is what i'm actually gonna do uh (laughs) i would say not till i was kind of like doing it and had made it (laughs) um i was i guess i was 23 i think when i started racing at the national level um, I had started when I lived in New Brunswick and I got into the level where I did the Canada games and I thought that was kind of like the highest level that I would ever get to because I, I didn't really understand how to take it to the next level. At that time there wasn't like, I never, I never had a coach in New Brunswick. I didn't really know what I was doing. I just rode my bike and I didn't ride my bike in the winter. I didn't do any physical training in the winter. I just like, it's sunny. I go ride my bike. And then when the snow comes, it's like, then you do other stuff. Um, so yeah, I really didn't know how to progress the sport from kind of what I was doing until I moved to British Columbia for university and I joined the triathlon club there because I I thought like after doing the Canada games and living out in the country on a farm and I couldn't really have a social life and train and a summer job. So I was like, okay, I'm going to university. I'm just going to ride my bike socially and do school and whatnot. But then I got, I realized that I, I liked training and I wanted to do that, but I wanted to do it socially. So I joined the triathlon club and um, the very first bike practice, I met my husband who <laughs> we've been together for 17 years now. And um, I met Dan Pru, who um, kind of through coaching me became the national team coach. Um, kind of our careers progressed together. He used to be a triathlon coach and then a road coach and he actually didn't select me for his um women's road team because it's one of my favorite stories <laughs> didn't he have he had four bikes he had four bikes and you were there and he was like no bike for you yeah he's like ah. and then uh yeah then i guess he saw that i i responded quickly to training even though i was pretty out of shape when he met me um but yeah so i just met these two like pivotal people in my career and, um, yeah, after two years of coaching me, I think Dan actually made it out to a mountain bike race and he's like, this is really cool. Like 
the vibe is so different than road racing. He's like, I'm going to do this. And so, yeah, he just, we had a lot of success together. He started doing uh, mountain bike projects with Cycling Canada. And then 2008, it was a, I'm not sure why it was such a last minute thing, but basically a couple months before the Olympics, they're like, could you leave Team Canada? And he's like, I'm there. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah. Three Olympics not later, and working on a fourth. Yeah, and I mean, okay, so 2008 was your first Olympics. Um, what? How did that feel? Um. Yeah. So I guess 2007. I was still at the beginning of the year. I wasn't invited to national team projects. I was still very much on the outside. And then I had 2007 was my breakthrough season. I got um, six at the World Champs. I think six or seven. And, um, and then I went from like thinking going into that year, okay, I'm preparing this year. So I know what going preparing for Olympics is like, but really 2012 is my target to holy smokes. I'm going to the Olympics in 2008 and I won the last world cup going into it. Um, so I went into the 2008 Olympics, um, very much an underdog, uh, Maria Lampremont from Canada was a silver medalist in Athens. All the media attention was on her. She was out doing um, interviews in the Beijing heat, and I was getting to hang out in an air conditioning, just watching it all unfold. Um, and then at our, our team meeting uh, before the race, uh, Husheng Amiri, who was leading the, the mountain bike component of the, the squad, he had said, uh, you know, Marie was going for a medal, and Catherine, you're going for a top five. And I'm like, okay okay, you think I can do that? Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just, I kind of had this amazing experience of the best position you want to be in going into the Olympics is being the underdog. No pressure, but a lot of hope and opportunity. And it was, I think to this day, the most engaged I've ever been in a race. Like, it was like I had tunnel vision. And uh, all I saw was the race. And for most of it, I, by the second half of the race, I, got into a um, battle for bronze with Arena Kalentieva. And uh, on the last lap, I was like, okay, if you're going to like win a medal, you have to be able to like do something that you haven't done on any other lap. This is the newbie, <laughs> the newbie racer here. And so I'm like, okay, this next climb, you've always shifted down to your... Okay, we had three chain rings back then. You've always shifted down... <laughs> Your granny ring, and this this time you're gonna have to like keep it in a bigger ring and go up. And then I started into the climb, and I was like, "Oh crap!" But I don't have the legs to keep it in this big ring, so I did that horrible like crunching gear shift of uh, trying to shift when you're under torque. And uh, I ended up having to hop off my bike, but so did Arena. But she ran past me and got the bronze medal by a couple seconds so that was my first olympics but i was fourth but it was amazing so it crazy so cool. thinking like that's like yeah. choice architecture like it's not just like choosing your pacing but like because you had a choice in your the chain ring right like totally. you had to think about that but now it's like you know people wouldn't even think about that right and it's like no. maybe you make yeah. a better choice i don't know but yeah. It's interesting and just I like think, because yeah. you had three choices <laughs> you had to you had to make yeah. one. Damn that triple chain I ring. Triple every every Olympics they've reduced it from three to two <laughs> to one chain ring, and then my last Olympics was the best. So it's just like Yeah, just th a... there's no choice. The choice architecture is just like there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I love the, the goal being like, okay, she's gonna go for medal position, you're top five. It's not that different. Like that's that's it's, too it's precise. Really precise. It's, it's not that different, but it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's really yeah. different. Like winning is hard. It's having a good race is okay, but like to to win, you have to be willing to take a risk on your fitness and risk going too hard, and you might blow up or you might have an amazing day. Do you think like the purpose of I don't want to criticize the decision to state that I guess it was based on something yeah. but it almost seems like like it could be the greatest choice or the worst I guess right like if someone crumbles totally. but I mean you're dealing with two yeah. people who are you know quite experienced and elite but yeah. wow <laughs> yeah well and I think it's too it's um it's how how much pressure you're putting on yourself like for 
in 2012, there were, there was a metal expectation and it didn't work out for me. I think going in as a metal favorite is the hardest position to go in to an Olympics um, with. Um, but being not really, even though I had won a World Cup, I still saw myself very much as an underdog, still someone coming up and like, okay, like the, the experienced people are going to be able to bring something special at the Olympics, right? And I'm just, I'm just going to do my best. And then to have somebody that's uh, like the coach or to, to express that belief that they thought I could do that, that was inspiring for me. But yeah, if, if I already had that expectation of myself um, or, or if it felt more like a, you have to do this, then it probably would have felt like a negative pressure. And I guess it, it almost frames, like as much as it's the, the result, it also would frame on the start, you're trying, you know, when you have that decision of like, do you fight for that fifth wheel or sixth wheel? Like, so you can at least see fifth yeah. place. It sort of stages like, especially at that t- time, like I remember we would do a lot more of that, like on the start, like you need to be in the top 10 if you're go- like, you need to be able yeah. to see fifth place if you're going to be fifth place type thing, right? And, yeah. I don't yeah. know if, if even yeah. at that time it was more, do you think it's, I, you guys probably still do stuff like that now, like you, you want to be in the top three or whatever? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I typically try and um, set my goals a little bit higher than what I actually need to do because I find if you, if you're like, oh, I need to be top five, then it's really easy to be fifth or sixth. But if you're like, I need to be top three, then if you're, third or fourth or fifth you're still where you need to be (laughs) getting around one one person's not so bad yeah and i think like that's that kind of talk is really what makes the olympics such a a different competition than any other competition is that there is so much more pressure and so much more of a mind game and how you see things it's like if somebody puts out that that goal for you and you see it as an opportunity or as in somebody believing in you then it's super empowering but if you see it as, oh, man, I have to do that. And if I don't, then I'm failing, then it's debilitating, right? So, um, you know, it's really um, the mindset going into those high-pressure competitions is super interesting and super hard to get right. <laughs> do you do your intervals similarly or, or when Dan or whoever is putting workouts in, like, is it similar in, in that way that there's almost like always a carrot for you to chase like that, where you might not get it, but you, it's not like you're going to come home and cry most of the time. Yeah. I understand sometimes you cry, but I, yeah. I cry at least. Um, but is that how you, like, are you, <laughs> do, would you say that's how you're sort of motivated and that like, okay, this one 350 today or something. And then it's like, maybe you only get 330, but that's okay. Like, yeah. That... Um, yeah, no, I typically don't, for like maximal intervals, I don't typically set a wattage goal. Um, I just try and do my best on the day because, you know, you like you could be amazing, but you're third week into a build. And so you're not going to have the same numbers that you have when you're fresh. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have to work within those expectations. And if you always have these wattage numbers and maybe just where you are in your training, it's just not realistic to hit that high of a number. Um, but you know, if you've done enough of them, you know, what's a good number. Um, and so it's like, sometimes I'll, I'll look down and be like, okay, I'm on track or like, Oh, you, you've got more than this. Um, so I'll use that for motivating, but really every time, um, I, I actually work with my husband now and, and Dan kind of oversees the global sure. look at my program. But, um, you know, for years, Dan and I would do our training as, um, just best effort. And so it's, if you're doing a maximal effort, all you can do is give your best every single time. And uh, I think that really helped me in my racing because in racing, if you're looking at your power, you're probably not giving your best. Um, So it's like you really have to know your body and you have to know what three minutes maximal feels like. And actually, because you do so many of those kind of intervals in Rio, that was really mentally... um, a really um a strength for me because when we had one climb left to go of the race and I knew that that one climb Emily and I were together at that point and I had one climb to kind of secure my medal and uh and so I was like okay you've got this climb it's three minutes you've done so many three minute intervals 
this is going to be the best three minute interval you've done in your life. <laughs> and so it's like, I knew exactly what that would feel like and um, kind of what I needed, what I needed it to feel like. And I was able to do it. I think by the top I had like 25 second gap. I was like, Oh my goodness. And, uh, and then I almost, well, I almost threw it away because I had a crash coming into the finish line, which <laughs> you're like, I was going crooked in the air, the, in, in the air, and then I heard everybody on the crowd being like, <gasps> and I, in my head, I was like, <gasps> um, but yeah, luckily I recovered and uh, also did the hardest sprint of my life, <laughs> hardest slow speed sprint, and was able to hold yes, on to it. The mountain biker sprint. Oh my god, I remember like yeah. shrieking at the TV. <laughs> <laughs> we watched that. <laughs> yeah, oh my, if you're inside my head right now, it's like the most mix of like panic and urgency and desperate effort that I've ever experienced. <laughs> I think uh, it's, to me, it's awesome that you actually focus on like the hardest effort that you can do instead of thinking about power and heart rate. Because I think now a lot of people focus so much on looking down at the number that they completely forget how to tell if something is hard or not at this point. Right. Yeah, and I think it also doesn't give you room to grow because maybe you're better than the last time, like the goal you had set for yourself, and um, maybe you can surprise yourself. And sometimes your power meter isn't calibrated right, or yeah, like more the often battery's than not. dying. Yeah. And like, yeah, like the amount of athletes, myself included, that have been totally demoralized because we saw this horrible power number, and then we found out that like this the power meter we have this year reads 10 or 20 lower than last right. year's power meter you know so you really have to you those things are are great metrics but they're always only one piece of the puzzle and you have to be combining it with a lot of other things and and how you feel i think has to be one of the biggest metrics yeah. and also some people are great trainers and some people are can like bring something else out in racing <laughs> like that's what dan always says about me he's like i think you're a good trainer but i think you're a beast in a race <laughs> <laughs> okay now i have to ask husband coaching you how do you guys yeah. maintain a relationship where you don't <laughs> want to punch him yeah <laughs> are, you, are you are you asking for a friend molly <laughs> just just out of like um, personal curiosity yeah. 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 No, I mean, it's interesting. And like, um, you know, Dan coached me for ooh, 2003 until 2013. And, you know, at various times, Dan would always be like, are you sure you still want to work with me? Like, do you want to try working with Keith? Like just not wanting to step on people's toes, you know? And I was like, um, no, like I really like the objective eye and, um, but after a while and, and, and wanting to change, try different ideas and just for variety because, you know, 10 years with a, a, a same coach, like even if things are good, you, you just need to switch things up sometimes. So, um, yeah, I'd say we had kind of 10 years to see if, if we could actually make it work. Um, and so kind of how we transitioned into that was I coached myself in 2014 and 2015. Um, but I also, so I was creating my program. I was the driver of what I wanted to do, but I was also really um, relying on Keith for some feedback just to make sure some accountability. Um, I also broke my collarbone in that time. So there I really needed somebody else to just kind of step in and, and kind of tell me what I need to do. Cause there's, I got a little overwhelmed. So um, with me coaching myself and him giving me some guidance, um, we kind of eased into that, transition of him coaching me uh, I think if we had tried earlier uh in my career it wouldn't have worked because I wasn't maybe the best listener <laughs> um and two you do need that separation but now I think we've we just talk coaching ideas so much um and we talk my training and he's seen so much of my career that just over time we figured out how to make a balance where um you know, we, we can discuss training ideas and, but then also if he's like, no, I think you need to do this. Then I know when to, when to, to fight and when not to. Um, and also when to say, you know what, today I just need a ride or ski and we're husband and wife or not coach. 
mm-hmm. um, because you know we've definitely had some arguments out on the trail, but um, you know it's like uh, it's I guess it's always knowing that um, they're trying to do what's best for you, and if they're telling you something, if they're giving their you feedback, it's not it's not them criticizing you; it's them wanting to help you improve. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you ever have yeah, to be like, uh, okay, so right now you're you're a coach, and that's the conversation, and in five minutes we're going to switch back to husband and wife, and then that's a different totally, conversation. Yeah. Yeah, and often it's it's me having to take a breath before I emotionally react to something and be like, okay, no, this is the coaching moment. But also asking, be like, okay, I'm really tired right now. Like, I can't, I can't handle too much feedback today. <laughs> Let's just like tell me later. <laughs> um, so yeah, having those boundaries or or knowing like when you train together and when you don't because he's. Uh, works full time as a teacher is we don't train together during the week. Um, and then the weekends are our endurance rides and those we can do together. Mm-hmm. Hey Molly, I've been getting this question a lot lately. When is the next shred girls book coming out? I'm so glad you asked as it happens. Allie's Rocky ride is coming out this July. If you're curious about what the Shred Girls are up to, in the follow-up to Lindsay's Joyride, the Shred Girls reunite at Allie's house for mountain bike training that builds up to an elite competition. And even though Allie grew up mountain biking with her professional biker older brothers, she's anxious. Her brothers always make her feel like she's not talented enough. Could they be right? She'll just have to find out. Let me tell you, this book gets super exciting. Pre-order is open now. You can head over to shred-girls.com. Pre-order links are there. Check out the shop. Maybe pick up some Shred Girls swag to, to go with it. And people could look up the pre-order on Amazon if they're so disposed. Anywhere, they're on their shopping anyhow. Anywhere books are sold. How has your how has your training like shifted over the years? Are there any major changes or is it all just kind of like a steady incline? Or like progression. Um, yeah, um, I guess it's, some of the changes feel so subtle, but um, definitely an increase in volume. Probably uh, when I started training with, uh, like back in 2003, I was a, a 500 annual hour, and now I'm more 800 to 900, um, 8, 850 more likely. Um, and so, yeah, there's definitely that cr- increase. Um, there's I, I typically train at home in the winter, so um, there's just how being able to incorporate the trainer and then how trainers have gotten so much better than they used to be, so that makes it easier. I become a better skier and more able to use that in my training. So um, a lot of the same elements are there. Um, I wouldn't say it's still training the same energy systems, but yeah, I guess I'd say we have gone through periods where um, – you know, Dan would say that he did too much high intensity in the past, which I loved. Um, <laughs> and now he's moved more to like a, a volume. Um, but I think, uh, and now it's, it's finding that right blend between volume and intensity so that mentally I stay engaged and fired up. Physically, I stay primed. Um, and I think as I get older, I, I feel pretty fortunate in that I haven't had to adjust my training that much as I approach 40 um and uh I think that's because I've always maintained so much high intensity that it's not really a shock to my system but I do find that I I maybe get a little bit more sore than I used to so I have to be a bit more diligent about the the Mm self-care um but yeah I think and sometimes moving towards uh maybe I'll add an extra recovery day in between my intervals something like that um, but I do feel like I'm able to train similarly to when I was younger. And there's, there's always slight variations. Like as, as coaches and athletes, you'll, you'll know that, but it's, it's kind of hard to parse out some of the nitty gritty. Mm-hmm. Is there ski, you mentioned cross country skiing. Do you do both like classic and skate or are you just skate or? Yeah, no, I do both classic and skate nice. and, um, I do it for variety, um, and for early season. <laughs> I made the mistake when I started skiing to be like, okay, I would do a three to four hour bike ride today, so I'm gonna do a three to four hour ski. <laughs> and if you ski, classic you know cyclist, that that is yeah. not the same. At least you didn't do it with um, running, because that's where like the actual like yeah. major injuries all of a sudden happen. Yeah. But no. Yeah. Yeah, so we um, so that's how we kind of started classic skiing is like, okay, like we 
are not ready, our bodies aren't ready to do muscularly that much skating. But if we did like an hour and a half classic, an hour and a half skate or something like that, we could combine these two aerobic workouts and then get, um, be able to do our volume outside and, um, and then be learning two different techniques, different muscle groups. Mm-hmm. What's your feeling? You know, it seems like, you know, recent events and, and our current uh, global situation uh, with the coronavirus uh, accepted. I feel like there's we, we continuously are stepping away from like everyone used to cross country ski all winter, like all the best cyclists would do that for like months, not touch the bike, maybe even. Um, yeah. And I feel like we're moving further and further where like people are just like in on, you know, their trainer or whatever. And there's, or just gone for the winter. Yeah. Maybe, maybe cycling or road cycling. Right. But like there, yeah, I think, I guess my question is like, do you feel like the cross training is an important piece? Like what's your sense? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, mentally, I think I really, enjoy being able to switch it up it's like some people when they take an off season they need to take like a month off or um really switch things up but because i know i'm not going to be riding my bike all winter i'm not going to be um slogging away in cold and ice because i don't have these other resources it's like i know i'm going to get that break from biking every single day because in the winter i'm going to ski um i think choosing a new sport is also really good because you adopt a beginner's mindset again mm-hmm. and you start thinking about, oh yeah, like how can I make, be more efficient at this? Cause this is so hard how I'm doing it. Or like, how can I carry momentum from this downhill into that uphill? And so you're, you're thinking more about technique and um, how to make gains. You're stressing your body in a different way while maintaining fitness. And so I think you give yourself room to grow and adapt because you're stressing your body, but not the same as when you go onto the bike. So your body can keep adapting and making changes. Um, the challenges being, if you're not good at skiing, you could get frustrated easily because you're like, Oh man, like I just can't get the same quality or I can't get in the volume. And so it feels, it could feel overwhelming or feel like you're not able to do a good job. And, and that's where you have to start combining workouts until you can build up to that. Maybe you have to run and ski or you have to, do an hour and a half ski, an hour and a half on the trainer or whatever to hit your, your, um, targets or just focus on doing quality and lower volume and then work up to it. And I think there's a lot of different ways that you can make training interesting and, uh, push your body to make some really positive adaptions with having cross training. Hmm. Mm -hmm. But I do get jealous when you see people still able to work on their jumping skills or, you know, some of those things that are becoming much more of a component of our racing. And when I'm home and I, even if I'm fat biking, it's not the same as mountain biking and you're not getting that as much technical skill progression and training. So, um, you know, I can see just with courses advancing like that, how there is that lure to be, um, to be on dirt all the time or, or at least start your season earlier because I do find um, a couple of year, times this year where I've I've gone to Hawaii for a training camp or Half Moon Bay or um, California, just how it does take me about two or three days to kind of adapt to being outdoors riding. So if I go from my winter training regime to straight into racing with other people, I might want to arrive a little bit earlier just so I can be a bit more efficient by the time I need to be good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think the the piece with mountain biking for sure. I was talking to Peter DeSera about that a bit and how like sometimes it's like sometimes as mountain bikers, like you might not actually mountain bike for months potentially, right? Like especially mm-hmm. if you don't have access yeah. to, like you say, go someplace, um, yeah. you know, and maybe you go someplace, but then it's like a road training camp. Um, so mm-hmm. it's, it's tricky, but I think things like fat biking and some of the indoor bike parks and uh, what was my other thought on that? Oh, like gravel riding this year. Like I just brought mm-hmm. a gravel bike to the camp. And so I was able to do, a, and those bikes are basically becoming like a hard to mountain bike now. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. So it's, it, I was like, I don't, I wish gravel bikes existed so much earlier. Cause at least you could get some time, you know, riding off road and doing some sort of yep. similar stuff, but yeah. yeah, it's an odd sport Ooh, in that we've done that. <laughs> the what? 
I said there were cross bikes back in the day. It's true. It's true. It's true. <laughs> okay, you yeah. mentioned self care and recovery as as you're you know getting getting a little bit older here. So what what does that actually look like for you in a week? Um, you know, for me, it's just a lot more foam rolling, foam rolling after um, intense exercise um, intervals or something like that. Um, making the time to stretch or do yoga. Um, I find like I've been doing particularly, um, since kind of self-isolation and COVID the having that morning routine of doing 10 minutes of meditation and then I do a 10 minute core app and it just kind of, kind of wakes my body up and gets it moving and, um, kind of, I just, yeah, I just find my back is more often likely to get kind of locked and I need to go through those range of motion things to start the day. And when did you when did you get going on meditation? I'm always like really curious about this because I've finally yeah. been doing it for like the past six months, and it's such a yeah. game changer. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say it's something that kind of sports psychs have encouraged us to do in kind of the last quadrennial because you know we're always thinking in the Olympic quads. Um, and I wouldn't say that I'm always successful at doing it every day, um, but. I, there are times when I know that I need to take more time for it than other times. And particularly now where, um, you know, when we're indoors and we can get really like, <sighs> just like <sighs> pent up energy and, and like busy brain. And then you just take a couple of minutes and you just start breathing deeply and you're like, wow, okay. That makes me feel so much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I do want to get so, into, yeah. Yeah, I want to get into the whole what's happening right now, but I also want to touch on nutrition because I feel like it's an interesting one for you since you've been a professional athlete for, you know, like 18 years or so now. So you've seen every Mm. fad diet and every like iteration of sports nutrition change over the years. So, I mean, like A, just like what is your sort of nutritional outlook now? And B, has it changed over the last couple decades of racing? Sure. Yeah. Um, I would say I've, I've never been, I've never followed a fad diet. I've never, um, yeah, gotten, gotten into like eliminations of certain foods, that kind of thing. Um, how have you avoided I, that? Uh, <laughs> I think, well, I mean, and it, it's harder now, but, um, so I'd say kind of when I was, successful okay when I, I went back in 2007 <laughs> um I did a because we have to do blood work for the UCI for our biological passport and, and one of the tests has shown that I had high cholesterol and I was like oh crap like okay so I for probably two months I cut out um fat and sugar and then all of a sudden I'm like holy crap I I really got skinny and um so then I'm like okay add back in <laughs> those things. Um, but then I got to this race weight there where um, I seemed to be able to like eat a lot and stay lean, stay healthy. Um, and like for 10 years, my body was just at this like amazing set point where it was easy for me to maintain ideal race weight and um, be super high performing, super healthy um, without really having to to work at it <laughs> um I was very fortunate I guess and, well, and, and it was just eating healthy that's... things and like over time you do adjust to like you actually crave salad that's what you want to eat or you crave like healthy foods rather than junk food um but uh and and I was also like that kind of that happened when I was working full-time so I was super busy and just like working training um and I just kind of got into this point. Um, but now that I'm older, um, and I did, um, because I, I was uh, amenorrheic for several years. So, you know, even though I didn't feel performance-wise like I had read as is possible, I did. Because um, even though I was eating a ton of food, I probably wasn't eating as much as my body was demanding. Um, so then I did try and go through um, putting on some weight. And then um, kind of menstruating and just ensuring that my body was super healthy. Um, and But then after that, that combined with being older, I'm like, ooh, yeah, now it's harder just to stay at that lean race weight. Darn it. <laughs> um, so now in my late 
priorities, I do have to, you know, I can't get away with just eating whatever I want, um, whenever I want anymore. And so you do have to be a little bit more diligent. And, and that is challenging when we're kind of isolated into our houses and we want food that makes us satisfies us in that moment. Yeah, uh, Peter was unpacking our groceries from my grocery shop yesterday, and he's like, uh, "How many? How much baking stuff do you really need right now?" Uh, yeah, totally. And I was just like, "Mind your own business." <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. It's like so when I was in California and Keith had done our two weeks of grocery shopping, I come home and it was like nacho chips and ice cream and chocolate. I'm like, Keith, how long are you like going to be quarantined here for? (laughs) Work through it. (laughs) Yeah, Doritos last forever. They're the best thing to have in the pantry. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, while we were quarantined, a friend texted me. She was at the grocery store and was picking us up a couple of things. She's like, wow, they're really stocked on ice cream. And I was like, get me whatever flavor you can see. Just bring it. Bring me some. Bring bring it. (laughs) I don't even care. Um, okay, so what what does a day of like quarantine eating look like for you right now? Oh, um, uh, yeah, I was actually thinking about this today because you know we definitely relaxed our our habits and and uh, because yeah, it's a little bit like you we decided to t- that because we don't we don't know if we're racing this year we don't know um, what racing is going to look like. Everyone's coming in from uh, when we were talking about cross training and and what your access is is like. Some people are only training indoors right now. They're not mountain biking. Some people are living in a place where they're mountain biking, they're road riding, um, you know, they have access to a good gym, like a home gym. Um, so what we come back to is going to be super different. Um, and we don't currently know yet, but probably best case scenario is the serious racing is going to happen in September and October if it's going to happen. So with that in mind, we're like, okay, let's rather than being at peak form right now to make that final Olympic selection event, um, let's take a step back. Not not like off season. We're not riding our bikes. We're staying super active, um, but we're being a little bit more relaxed. But um, so that kind of like, okay, absorb a new situation. Absorb that the Olympics have been postponed. I had planned on retiring this year. What does that mean? Just taking a, like a week or two to kind of like absorb what that is and then get back to it. Um, so yeah, definitely we were more relaxed, but um, I was thinking, I was like, okay, um, because the weight, like power to weight, like um, skills, like training, it is an element of my job and it is a skill that has to be trained. Um, so kind of this week is like, okay, let's get back on track and kind of needing to have, a little bit more of a plan for myself of what my nutrition will look like. Um, because, uh, you know, without that plan, I, I find like I need, I need some guidelines because, um, it is easy to, to over consume if we're, um, on reduced training plan or you're stuck in the house more. Um, so that kind of thing. So still kind of working through what that's going to look like. But I like that you tied it into, you know, what is the event coming up? What is the goal? Like, are we maintaining weight? Are you trying to get to a race weight? Are you actually trying to gain weight? Which a lot of people would like, whoa, what do you mean that? Right. But it's like, no, like, especially at your level, like that is an element of that. Right. And it is okay. As much as we all are like, whoa, no gaining. Yeah, Um, Yeah, totally. Um, And that's something kind of like an idea that um, Trent Stellingsworth at the Canadian Sports hmm. Centers we had talked about is like, like you periodize your training, you might need to periodize your weight. And so in the off season, you're going to want to be a little bit heavier just so you have more um, kind of resources and fuel to to work off of when you're putting in the bigger miles. And then as you get closer to your A events, then you want to lean up. And, uh, you know, there's definitely lots of studies that have shown that being at a little bit higher body weight, you can get more explosive power. Um, and so there there are some positives to that. It's so funny. Yeah, I feel like this scary. is the kind of thing that like a prof- like professional athletes like understand that concept and I'd say more recreational amateur to like semi-serious athletes have this thing where it's just like no, like I need to always be at this like lower like more race weight at all times otherwise. Yeah. Well, cuz I think gaining weight is scary cuz what if you don't get rid of it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is the reality, right? And that's it can be hard work. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I was going to say, I wonder, you know, it's obviously difficult, so only go as deep as you, you're able. But I, for a lot yes. of people, uh-huh. I know a lot of my clients, a lot of the listeners we have, you know, they were going to do these big races. They had like this big bucket list race for this year, um, you know, and that's off the table or delayed. And so they're, you know, what is the purpose? And, you know, a lot of times we feel like, you know, we're getting older, um, you know, so there's like a window, um, you know, for us to do some of these crazy things. Um, Mm -hmm. so there's definitely like a feeling of loss and, and sadness, Mm -hmm. right. And I wonder, can you talk through how you uh, probably are still working through that? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it is. (laughs) And you can make it for other people or things that maybe you've, you know, you've you've heard. It doesn't have to be. I I think, I guess the, the biggest thing is that cycling is a sport for life. People are racing into their eighties. So that we have to sit out and miss a race right now, um, it's okay. They'll, those races will be there. And I think it's easy. Uh, I mean, my husband's going through this right now, too. It's like he is the fittest he's ever been. He's done more intervals than he's ever done consistently in his life this year. And, you know, as much as I was training for the Olympics, he was also training and he wanted to see where that work would take him, right? Um, so we're all kind of grieving this loss of, of what we wanted and, and, uh, and that's okay to, to be bummed out and, uh, and to kind of like, accept like, oh man, that kind of sucks. But you know what? We can rechannel that energy and it's, um, that work is never lost. It's just, you, it's there, it's your base and it's a foundation that you can build from for the future. So, um, you know, for me, it's, I'm trying to see this time as like, okay, what, what opportunity is this time giving me? And I'm not typically good at slowing down and focusing on the little, the little fundamental skills that can feel tedious. Like I think particularly for a lot of women, how we get into cycling later in life or we get in, we're really fit and we kind of get right into racing and we want to be fit and we want to be work on power and, and all those things. But we've missed those 10 years of just playing around on our driveway and a bike that a lot of little kids have done. Um, so I'm trying to be a little kid right now and I'm playing around in my driveway, in my backyard, in my basement. I'm, you know, doing like hops in a circle and, um, uh, like tracks and stuff like that. And I actually made, uh, some videos that I'm doing for the development national team girls and just encouraging them to play on their bikes right now. It's like, we have this, opportunity to kind of slow down and not worry as much about watts and just um hone in some of these fundamentals where maybe if we were racing and traveling we wouldn't do as much so i'm trying to take it as an opportunity to do that kind of thing um you know those those races and goals even if we don't get to do them this year they're still out there and you will learn something during this time period that's going to help you then um like every time I've been sidelined with an injury, I've always gained something from that, some perspective or something added to my training that has helped me later. So I think it's, you just kind of have to shift your goal, your mindset to a little bit of like that long-term vision of I'm doing some really little things now that are going to help me in the future, but also give yourself some fun goals for right now. So it's like, okay, what's something that, um, you never used to be able to do, but you want to be able to do, and you could do in your backyard or on your trainers. Like maybe just cause you can't do a race doesn't mean you can't try and hit that 20 minute FTP test power, or you can't, um, learn how to do some trick on your bike. Um, so there's, there's little things that we can be doing now and, um, that will make us better athletes, better cyclists. Um, and it's just about kind of reframing your goals in the short term for the long term. Mm-hmm. That answer your question. I hope well, <laughs> maybe I, think I, so. I think <laughs> it, it gave us some examples for sure. And I think a lot of us too, it's like checking in that, you know, it is even what you want to do, right? Cause mm-hmm. you know, do you enjoy mountain biking? Do you enjoy training for mountain biking? Right. Yeah. Or are there things you don't like about it? You know, yeah. maybe, and I think for some people it's like, Maybe they didn't, and that's yeah. okay too. Yeah, but. or maybe they needed a break, and now's the perfect time to just take a step back and find that motivation, find that drive. And um, yeah, for myself, it was like 
okay, it's like when you have the Olympics, it's clear what you're training for. But yeah. when you have no race on the calendar currently, what are you training for? And it's like you have to train because you like training and you like getting better um, and you like how it makes you feel. And I know there hasn't been a single day where – I like uh, not felt like doing something and then I got out on the bike or I got out for a run or home gym and I didn't feel better. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just like, this is just a, a really valuable time to know how much that you're not losing something by not training for a goal. You still like, you're lucky because you do have all this repertoire of workouts that you can do and this ability to get out there and just make your body feel good. Yeah. Yeah, and I've been trying to sell it too as, you know, right now we don't know a lot and a lot of life is like frustrating and it feels like you can't make progress, but training mm -hmm. and, you know, anything, right? Like it could be like your core work that you were talking about, right? Like if right now you can do five push-ups and in a month you can do 20 or whatever, mm -hmm. like it, it's a pretty linear gain in terms of seeing progress, right? Your hops would be another one. Maybe you can hop yeah. for 20 seconds or five times yeah. and or yeah. not in a circle or a half circle. Yeah. And then you can do two circles at the end of the month. Like that's totally pretty awesome. Or you can do it in both directions because we're always good with one dominant leg, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> um, and, and it's just like at this point, if not life in general, to be able to see progress in something as an adult, right? Like something that just like linearly, you know, gets better. Absolutely. Yeah. Is, is pretty yeah. compelling, I think, as far as a, yeah. a why are you training right now? Totally. Right? Like you don't have races. Yeah. Why are you training? Well, yeah. You know, because I don't know, like, what else are you seeing progress in right now? Exactly. Yeah. And that's something where, you know, as much as my focus is on still being a good athlete and figuring out how to bring value to my sponsors and, and my, my followers and things like that. Um, I also know that to feel success, like, I might need to be doing something that's not bike related. So I started, um, I do half an hour of French a day. And sometimes I do more. And it's something where it's like, I can feel gains. I can feel like, okay, I'm learning something. I'm like improving professional development or, you know, it's like I'm making some videos for like skills for kids and, and for national team riders and stuff like that. So, um, you know, it's like there's, there's those elements that are of your training that you're doing for you, but then there's also things that you might need to feel some success outside of sport too. Like I'm sure a lot of your listeners are working another job and they're, they're getting some positive feedback that way. But if you are a full-time athlete, it's what else can you do outside of sport right now that's going to kind of give you that feeling of success and, and help just your overall motivation and energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. And then I think the last thing I really wanted to ask about is, you know, you're super involved with fast and female. So can you just kind of quickly touch on, touch on that? Um, sure. So um, there's, a lot of awesome programs and Fast and Females, one that uh, started with years ago, um, kind of Shonda Crawford was one of my favorite Olympic moments, just watching her sprint to an Olympic medal. Um, and I think it's just a really cool program to uh, create opportunities for girls to um, be girls and be rad on bikes or whatever sport they choose. So um, yeah, Haley Smith and I got to represent fast and female last year when we did the epic israel and uh and just kind of just sh showcasing um the the strength of women out on bikes and out doing sports uh they're a great program also involved with the little bellas and outride and our own kids league here so yeah i guess dabbling a little bit in all these uh programs for youth and uh because I just want to see opportunities for kids to, to get out and start riding because I know for myself, if if my brother had never exposed me to the sport of mountain biking, I probably wouldn't have found it and my life would look dramatically different now, mm -hmm. right? So I think it's really important to um, be creating just opportunities for, for kids to be exposed to cycling and to um, kind of safe and supportive environments for them to, to want to learn and improve. And for, for girls in particular, it's, it is really important to see strong female role models because it's easy to say, I see a guy do something and be like, oh, well, they can do it because they're stronger or whatever. But when you see another woman or girl do it, you're like, 
okay, I want to be able to do that. And it's this extra level of motivation. Yeah, exactly. I Yeah, that's something I, I say and see all the time. It's just like little girls don't get into bikes because they don't see other little girls on bikes. Totally. So it's, it's such a yeah. huge thing. Yeah. Awesome. All right. How can people follow along with all of your various adventures? Uh, all right. Uh, so I guess probably Instagram and Facebook are my the things I'm most active on. So I'm at C Pendrel on Instagram and I'm Catherine Pendrel on Facebook. And also I'm on Zwift. So if you want to ride with me on Zwift, uh, just follow me. And I've done a couple meetups um, with Cycling Canada and doing one for the cycling Canada mountain bike riders on Tuesday and uh yeah also getting in some racing on Zwift to to keep some intensity with a little bit less of a mental involvement you know it's like you don't necessarily want to be burning too many mental matches right now doing a ton of hard intervals but if you can get in your intensity in a really fun way it's that uh race bug then yeah yeah Oh my gosh, I love it. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. This is awesome. Yeah, thanks, guys. Good to chat with you. Yeah. yeah. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. While you still have your podcast app open, do us a huge favor, head over to iTunes or whatever app you're listening in and rate and review the podcast. It's super helpful. It, you know, gets us more guests on the show. It gets me a dog. Um, and it's just, you know, a good way to give back if we've provided any kind of value to you throughout all of the episodes you've listened to. If you're looking for the show notes, you can find those at www.consummateathlete.com. We have lots of other content over there and any information about coaching or events can also be found at that same website. And you can find us on the social medias at Molly J. Herford and at Peter Glassford on Twitter and Instagram. And we would love to hear from you. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week. <laughs>